0: We are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups, there's events calendar so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. To be sure to check out our app, you can go to bayshorecc.org app, that's bayshorecc.org app, and find links to download the Bayshore Church app.
1: Awesome, good to see you guys today. Uh, we're in, I think, part six, part seven of our study of the church, uh, it in the book of Acts. And we want to welcome our uh, people that are listening on our podcast. We have so many people to listen. Uh, watching online last week, we had Frankie King, uh, Donna Valquise, uh, Karen Martin, Joe Griffith Wilson. We had people watching last week from Texas, Florida, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. And we want to welcome our, first, uh, our, our, walk, walk, welcome our uh, online audience that's watching right now. And the best way to experience Bayshore is to be here. But we're so glad that you're tuning in uh, to watch us today. So we're grateful for, be a, for you to be a part of this service. Uh, we are in uh, this study. And last week, uh, we had this guy in chapter 3 of Acts that was healed. He was a lame man. He was healed. And we learned last week that every healing or miracle in the book of Acts was a gateway to a sermon. Uh, every time or almost every time in the book of Acts when there was a, a miraculous healing a sign, it was a moment that the apostles got to tell about Jesus. So the purpose of miracles in the book of Acts was it was a gateway to telling people about Jesus. Uh, Not that miracles aren't in themselves very good, very important, but they were a means to an end in the book of Acts and they gave uh, great testimony uh, to Jesus. So last week we had this guy that was sitting at the temple and he was lame and he was expecting a few dollars and God did something much bigger for him than he imagined. And so uh, today we look at chapter four and we get the rest of the story, like the Paul Harvey thing. We get the rest of the story, what happens uh, after this. And so I want to read to you uh, what happened after Peter and John healed this guy and preached. And basically they had two, had the opportunity for two sermons off of one miracle. So they got to preach to the people that gathered around them. And then secondly, they got to preach to the leaders that incarcerated them. Basically, the book of Acts is miracles, sermons, and incarceration. You know, people, uh, miracles happen, incarceration, then there was like a mob, riot, and then they were put in jail. That's the theme of Acts. And so uh, we get the first, in chapter 4 of Acts, we get the very first incarceration uh, of the apostles. The persecution in the book of Acts begins in the book of uh, in Acts chapter four. Let me read the story to you, and then we'll uh, go from there. Uh, it says this in Acts chapter four: the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail. The next day, until the next day, but many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teacher of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and is asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then continued conferred together, What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them uh, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, this is a really great story. Uh, As I mentioned... It shows, the, uh, it shows the aftermath of what happened after the miracle. So here's what's interesting about the story. They've done something really amazing here. They've uh, healed a lame man that's never walked his whole life. He's uh, 40 years old, and he's never walked, and he's been healed. And they've done this a miraculous thing, and everybody knows what they've done. So this uh, miracle creates a lot of attention around the apostles, and the apostles are telling people about Jesus and his resurrection. So the miracle created this high-profile event. Now, I don't think it's coincidental that this was the man that got healed because he was there every day and everybody saw him, everybody knew who it was, and it's almost like God selected this well-known man to be healed to present an opportunity for the apostles to preach about Jesus. So that's what they did. And then uh, they're called before what's called the uh, Sanhedrin or actually the high priest and some of the religious leaders of the day. And basically what that means is that there are a group of people, Jewish people, that have been empowered by the Roman government to sort of run things at a civic level, and uh, they're okay with them as long as things, Romans are okay with them kind of running things as long as there's not disorder. So what happens is there is this, uh, this, this disorder that's occurred because there is uh, this miraculous healing and all of these people are gathering around and there's this sort of like chaos that's in the temple. Now, the people that get upset about this are, first of all, are uh, people that are uh, the high priest, who's like to sort of think about him as sort of like the president, and then the Sanhedrin, that would be like the Congress. So these people are upset about this man being, not so much this man being healed, but the message that they're preaching. The message that they're they're preaching is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so because that is the message that's being uh, propagated by the apostles, it upsets these people that are part of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin, this is important uh, for you to understand how Acts works. Uh, The Sanhedrin and the high priest are predominantly... Uh, people of what's called the Sadducee Party, the Sadducee Party. Uh, now, in the New Testament, if you read the Gospels, you've got to kind of know who the Sadducees are and who the Pharisees are and got to understand that. So the Sadducees, my friend Mike Bailey, who uh, was, uh, became a Christian in his adult life, never went to church, uh, and when he got saved and went to Bible college, uh, we were uh, talking about it, and he's, he read the Sadducees. He thought they were the Sadducees. He called them the Sadducees. Um, So the Sadducees, the Sadducees weren't people that seduced other people. The Sadducees uh, had very particular beliefs. Now listen to what they believed and then you'll understand why there was conflict. First thing the Sadducees believed was they believed that when the body died, the soul died as well and there was no afterlife. That when you died, you died. That was what the Sadducees believed. And in Bible College at seminary, they always tell the tell the joke that uh, that they didn't believe in any, any life, didn't believe in life after death, so they were sad UC. So, another bad joke. It didn't work in seminary, and it doesn't work here. <clears throat> so maybe that'll help you remember. They they didn't believe in life after death. They believed that when you died, you were dead. Now you can see a problem already. Jesus, what's the message of the apostles? Jesus has been raised from the dead and they're preaching Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection of the dead. So that's a problem. The second thing the Sadducees believe is they, did, they believe that God did not intervene in the affairs of men. In other words, that God did not interject himself into personal affairs. If you prayed, God didn't have any concern about getting involved in your life at all. Uh, God, you know, God was not, was not involved in the details of, of a person's life. Uh, and they, believe, they didn't believe that God was sovereign. They don't believe he worked in people's lives. They just believed that God was indifferent, that God was sitting in heaven with his hands, his, his arms folded. And uh, in, in American history, you've, you've read about maybe in the 1700s, there was a group called the deists. Some of our founding fathers are considered to be deists. And a deist is someone that believed that God created the world he created it with laws like uh, John, or, like uh, uh, Newton said, and he did involve himself in the affairs of men. And so a deist was somebody that created the world, but then and God didn't have anything to do with the world after he made it. Now, that's sort of what the Sadducees believed. They believed that God didn't get involved. Now, we see another problem. We, have, we see that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, uh, and they're preaching that Jesus is raised from the dead. The second thing, they didn't believe that God was involved in people's lives, and here's God just healed this man. So these apostles are completely going against the grain of what these Sadducees believe. The other thing about the Sadducees, which is important to remember, the Sadducees were pro-Roman. That means that um, they were were okay with the Romans, uh, the Romans being in charge, because the Romans had basically said... Um, that if you will kind of keep things in in order and make things kind of go, we'll let you do whatever you want to. And the Sadducees were the rich people of the community. They were the aristocratic group of the community. They were rich and they were political. So they ran the Sanhedrin. And so they, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels and demons. They didn't believe in God's involvement in mankind. And they were okay with the Romans. And they didn't believe in a coming Messiah. Because they believed that they were the Messiah that was going to kind of bring social order back for Israel, so you have these apostles, John and Peter, who come, and 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 they heal this man, and. And then they begin to tell people that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so the next thing that happens is these, there's this, this chaos that's occurring in the temple. And people are, up, uh, the, the uh, Sanhedrin and the Sadducees are all upset because disorder is occurring. And so they go and they see all these people gathered around the apostles. And there's one man that used to be blame, lame that's jumping up and down in the group. And uh, they're preaching about Jesus being raised from the dead. So the Bible says that they seized Peter and John uh and put them in jail. And now the word they seized them, it doesn't mean that they kind of patted them on the shoulder and kind of walked them in another room. They seized them. They grabbed a hold of them. Uh I told the first service the, uh, the only time I've ever seen physical persecution was when I was in Russia uh with a group of people from our church years ago we planted a church there and we were in the city of Kazan which maybe 2 3 million people big city and we're preaching and uh, teaching and all of that. And we had these Russian Christians with us. And one young man uh, who was maybe a teenager, maybe 15, 16 years old, was with us in our group. We were on public trans- transit uh, transition or on public transportation. And we stopped at this one place and his father and his uncle were waiting for him. And uh, this young boy who had been, his parents had been communist. And now he's a Christian and he's hanging out with these Westerners. And, uh, and he got off the, the public transit and his, his uncle and his father grabbed him, and they were slapping him in the back of the head and, and pushed him down the street. And, and the missionaries that were with us you know, told us to stay on the, uh, on the public transit. And it was the first time ever I'd seen anybody physically mistreated for their faith. And if you think about what happens here, uh, Peter and John are, are grabbed, they're seized, and, and roughly handled and thrown into jail. And and what's interesting is they're thrown into jail. And what have they done? What have they done? What they've done is they have, they've healed a man and now they're in jail. Have you ever thought, have you ever done something good? Have you ever like really served, done something good and really helped somebody? And the next thing that happens is bad. Has it ever happened to you? Like, in, and I think all of us sort of have this in our, in our head. We kind of think that, uh, that if we do something good and help somebody, the next thing is going to be good for us. It's something good. God's kind of watching that. He's going to really give us something nice in place of, you know, after we help somebody. And so you, you serve in children's church, and you're serving, and you do both services, and the children are like pulling your hair out, and you're doing that, and on the way home you have a flat tire. And you think, you know, what what's that about? Or you go on the mission trip, and then you come back, and, and your whole next week is just chaos and terrible. So sometimes... Sometimes you do something good and you help people. And the next thing that happens is challenging. And they end up in jail. Now let me just see, has that ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you? Where you've done something good, you're serving God. I mean, you're like, you know, you you didn't go to the the lake with your boat. You came to church and you ushered. And then something happened bad that week. And so anyhow, so you know about that. So, and then uh, Peter and John are thrown into jail and they're persecuted for their faith. This is a theme in the book of Acts, a theme in the book of Acts is the church was persecuted. The church was was under pressure. And and here's what I believe. I believe That if we are authentic Christians, if we are authentically following Jesus, there's going to be some measure of persecution that we're going to experience. Uh, In fact, it says this in 2 Timothy. It says, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus indicated that if everybody speaks good of us, that that's a concern. If there's not somebody that's like really upset with you because of your faith... According to the book of Acts and the recording of the New Testament, then maybe something is a little bit off and that we're struggling a little bit. So, um, so persecution is normal. Some persecution is normal. And I, I know it happens. I, I talked to somebody recently that, that they were just lovingly sharing their faith uh, with, with somebody in their family, and their family took great offense to that. And it wasn't like they were overbearing and pushy. You know, have you, ever, you know, I've seen some Christians that are overbearing and pushy, and I want to slap them. You know what I mean? <laughs> but they weren't overbearing and pushy. They were just lovingly. They had a conviction. They were on a trip somewhere, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them about somebody in their family, and they wrote them a very loving letter, and the, and the family member got extremely offended about that. So persecution, listen to this the closer we are to Jesus, the more controversial we'll be. The further we're away from Jesus, the less controversial we'll be. So being close to Jesus brings controversy. Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, if you follow me, everybody's going to love you. He said, I haven't come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring division. And so sometimes it happens. We, we experience that. and we, we have that. And so uh, we have to kind of take that in. And so for me, I mean, in, a, in this culture we live in, there's so little persecution. We don't, you know, we don't get much pushback, uh, maybe get some. I think, I do believe that the, the environment in the Western world, will be the environment in America is shifting uh, more negatively toward Christianity all the time, and, and then the, there's, the, the day could come when we're just really experiencing you know, some pressure about our faith, and now, even now we have some experience about that. We experience some pressure about our faith. But here's the interesting thing. Whenever there is persecution, whenever there's pressure that comes on the church for, the, for its faith, the church always grows and prospers. Now, in this text, it says that when they threw the apostles in jail, the very next thing it says, it says that the number grew to 5,000. They had 3,000, and they're thrown in jail, and they get 2,000 more. 2,000 more people uh, come to, to faith. And so there's this pattern where there's persecution, there's, there's growth of people following Jesus. Here's an interesting, Listen to this. 1949. 1949, the communists came to China... And uh, Chairman Mao uh, threw all the missionaries out, and uh, he said that, um, you, know, uh, you know, Christianity was illegal, it had to go underground, and if you were caught, you know, practicing your faith, you would be, you know, put in jail. Uh, great, famous figure, a guy named Watchman Nee, who wrote a lot of books, a Chinese guy, was thrown in jail, and he was, some bad things happened to him in jail, and uh, So that was in 1949. In 1949, there were one million, one million uh, Protestant believers in China in 1949. After communism you know, was in charge for a lot of years. Finally, they let up some pressure, and there, there was a way to begin to evaluate the status of the church. When it got, when, when, after that, that uh, it eased up a little bit, and we could see what was happening inside of China. Now, do you know how many Chinese Christians there are today in China now? Between 35 and 50 million. Between 35 and 50 million. Say this with me. When the church is persecuted, the church grows, so pressure purifies the church. It makes the church more powerful, and it makes the church uh, really, really incredible. And so, um, so that's what happened. And so, the the early uh, the church in Acts was persecuted by these by the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin because they were preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And they didn't believe in the resurrection. So there was this persecution. And these faithful apostles who just loved this man, who just healed him, are thrown in prison for their faith. And the next day they're brought out. And then and the next day they are, they are able to preach their second message. And they preach the second message to the leaders, the high priests. And, and so they got two messages out of one miracle. And so they got to preach the next day. And one of the, one of the big pushbacks was this. They they told them, we don't want you any longer preaching in the name of Jesus. Don't preach about Jesus anymore. If you read the text, it says they forbade them to speak in that name, to speak in the name of Jesus. And throughout the book of Acts, they're constantly trying to suppress the name of Jesus, not to speak in the name of Jesus, not to preach about Jesus. Don't preach about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't preach about Jesus. Now, here's something. Listen to this. In the book of Acts, 74 times, 74 times the name of Jesus is mentioned. 74 times the name of Jesus is mentioned. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always talking about Jesus. They're always talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus is the center of their life. Jesus is the center of their message. Jesus is the center of everything they do. They talk about Jesus wherever they go. They are not ashamed of the name of Jesus, and they're talking constantly about Jesus. And so I'm reading that, and I'm studying that this week, and and every time I study and every time I look at, and study the book of Acts and I'm looking at this, there's always a question that comes back to me, and the question that comes back to me is, how many times did I say the name of Jesus this week? How many times did I say the name of Jesus? How many times did you say Jesus this week? How many times did you say Jesus this week? And I don't mean like when you hit your hand and you said that, that way. You know, when I hit my nail, nail I, always, I always try to use other gods to denigrate them. You know, I always say, like, oh, son of Buddha. Oh, my gosh, can't believe that. Son of Buddha. Confucius, oh my gosh, you know. Why does, why does the devil, why, why do we always attack the name of Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? How many times did you say Jesus' name this week? You talked about Jesus. How many times did you say his name? I was at a public restaurant with, this week with my Some of my tennis buddies and most of my tennis buddies are not, you know, what I would call devoted Christ followers. And uh, so we're at a public restaurant and a guy sitting across from me is an atheist. And the guy, you know, next to him is, you know, doesn't go to church. And I'm very good friends with all these guys. I love these guys, like my brothers. I love them. And we're having breakfast. And every time we have breakfast, it was like for somebody's birthday in a group. So every time we have breakfast, they look at me, and uh, I started this. you know I asked them the first time we did it, "Hey, you know, how about of us instead of being a bunch of heathens, why don't we say grace before we eat?" And uh, I said, I was just joking with him, but you know, hey, he's fine." <laughs> so now, every time we have a breakfast, and we do this like once a month or every other month, they look at me. And we're in a public restaurant. And I'm with sacred people who don't go to church, don't love Jesus. And I just, I just pray. I just pray like I pray around you. And I pray for the guy. It's his birthday. I just thank the Lord for him and ask the Lord to help his backhand and just pray for him. <laughs> and I just pray and I talk to Jesus and then I always say, in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, amen they just kind of look you know what i'm not i'm not ashamed of the name of jesus i know you're not either i'm not ashamed of the name of jesus in front of my secular friends i'm not afraid to say the name of jesus in a public restaurant because jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me i'm not ashamed of jesus and you know my colleagues my pastoral friends I can be with my pastoral friends at a conference or something and we can go two or three days and we talk about ministry, we talk about church growth, we talk about church programs, we talk about you know, how to lead the church better, church database, we can talk about all that church stuff for three days and we never say anything about Jesus. And one day I just was like, I'm thinking, man, we're talking about everything, but we're not even talking about Jesus. You know what? You can, you can, you can worship ministry. You can love ministry and not even love Jesus. I decided after a while, hey, listen, I am thank God for all the other stuff that goes along with church. But listen, I want to love Jesus, first of all. Jesus is what this is all about. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus is the Lord of your life. Can you say a big amen? So I like, I'm around my buddies now, my ministerial, ministerial buddies, and we're talking about, you know, hey, what's the latest thing happening at Craig Rochelle's church and what's happening at all these churches? And we're talking church stuff, and we can just talk and never talk about Jesus. And I'm like, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. I was invited this week. Uh, Karen and I got to hang out with our, our praise band. And there was a party over to the Frucioso's house and had just such a wonderful time. And uh, they asked me to say something. And, and I got up there. And uh, we're all in the living room. And all these great people are in the living room that lead worship every week. We have the best band in, in the Sussex County. And love these guys, they're amazing. You know, celebrate that. And I, I said, listen. I said, you're killing it. You're doing amazing. Kyron, Courtney, you guys are doing amazing. I love you. I told them about when I used to leave to worship, how bad it was and how good it is now. <laughs> and then I said, you know what? You know what? You can worship, worship. You can worship. Worship. You can worship the experience of worship and not really worship Jesus. The apostles, 74 times, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They're always talking about Jesus, they love Jesus. What's the difference between the early church and our church? What's the difference between their time and our time? The difference is, is we talk about church. We talk about Bayshore. Well, I'm glad you talk about Bayshore. We talk about church programs. We talk about podcasts. But I don't hear anybody saying much about Jesus. Talking about Jesus. His name is is wonderful. His name is exalted. The name of Jesus is the most important name in the universe. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, His name is above every other name and at His name every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and say that Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. I've been listening to Spotify I've left Pandora. I've moved on to other things. I'm with Spotify now. <laughs> Spotify's got all the old Christian bands I just listened to when I was back in the 70s and listened to Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Anybody ever listen to Andre Crouch and the Disciples? His favorite, my favorite song he did was, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus. They said to the apostles, we command you no longer to speak in this name. Don't speak in the name of Jesus. And and in in the public arena, you can talk about God, generic, because a lot of people think that can mean a lot of things, God. You can say, Lord. But when you say Jesus, people start like twitching. But I love Jesus. You love Jesus. The people of Acts love Jesus. They never quit talking about Jesus. How many times did you say Jesus this week? How many times did you talk about Jesus? I want you to talk about Bayshore. I want you to talk about what this great church is. And I want you to talk about... How handsome your pastor is. I want you to say all of that. <laughs> but if I had a rather, I'd rather you be talking about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Last year, I went to the U.S. Open with some friends, and uh, U.S. Open tennis in August, and uh, we went up there, and it was like you know, a couple of couples from the church here, and a couple of my tennis friends, and one guy that went. I texted him yesterday and asked him if I could tell this story. A guy named Bill. He went, and he had been a had been divorced for twenty thirty years, and he was lonely and he was sad and been depressed and but he had met this widower named paula, and they uh they fell in love, and they got married and Bill's countenance changed, and we went on this trip to uh, New York City to watch tennis, U.S. Open. He talked about Paula the whole time. (laughs) All the way in the truck, while we're walking to the tennis center, in the motel room, and at night he would get her on the phone, and he would just say, oh, Paula, Paula, I love you, I miss you so much. And It was was a little much, to be honest with you. (laughs) And then I thought, ooh, hey, Karen, 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 you know. (laughs) He taught, I'm telling you, he must have talked about, he must have said Paula 500 times before we had lunch every day. (laughs) I'm sitting there and say, I'm trying to watch tennis, Bill. Do you know why he talked about her so much? Because he loved her. He loved her. And he could not shut his mouth. He could not quit saying her name because he loved her. And the early church loved Jesus so much. They just talked about Jesus all the time. And what God wants to do for us in this series is he wants to get us loving Jesus again. So we talk about Jesus more. And I was guilty of this. You know, I used to talk about the Lord. Talked about, you know, I would talk about things and my. You know, my walk with the Lord was sort of, you know, I love the Lord and all that. And I talked about John Maxwell and I talked about church growth and, and church and all that. I'm all into that. I'm reading all the time. I talked about all that. But this is guy, you know, some of you know John Hobbs, an evangelist who used to come in this area. Till comes in this area, a Methodist evangelist. And, and John, I started hanging around him and he just like, he just loves Jesus. He talks about Jesus all the time. And I was hanging around him and I was playing golf with him at the Shawnee Country Club. And uh, we walked through the the cafeteria, and there's like 25 people in there, and we're getting ready to walk through the the cafeteria to go out to play golf. And John Hobbs turned around to the whole group. He said, I hope you all love Jesus here. Now, I would never do that in a million years. That is not my style. (laughs) But you know what? He talked about Jesus on the first hole, the second hole, the third hole, the fourth hole. Everything was about Jesus because he loved Jesus. They said, we forbid you to speak in that name. Common theme through the book of Acts. They were trying to stop the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus was constantly on the lips of the apostles. They were constantly talking about Jesus. And I want to be... I want to be a man who doesn't just talk about church, who just doesn't talk about church growth, who doesn't just talk about the latest trend of what's going on podcast and the latest thing in the church and all that. I know all about that. I'm I'm up to speed on all that stuff. I've talked about that, read about that, thought about that for years. It's all interesting, but at the end of the day, I want to be a person that my lips are filled with the name of Jesus because His name is a name that's above every other name, and they could not quit talking about Jesus because they love Jesus, and we're not talking about jesus as much as we need to because maybe we don't love jesus as much as we need to and i just want to love jesus more and i know you want to love jesus more if jesus is the most important name in your vocabulary would you say a big amen right now so peter is preaching preaching you know he's just bold He's a fisherman. He's a fisherman. He's not got a college education. He's a fisherman. He's a blue-collar fisherman. And he's standing before the high priest. He's standing before the uh, the scribes, the religious theological doctorate of his day that had the PhDs. And he's standing before the political leaders of his day. And he's teaching them and preaching to them about Jesus. And then he says something outlandish. And I don't have time to cover the whole sermon. He says, There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. This is one of the most controversial verses in the New Testament. It's Acts 4.12, and I'm going to put it on the screen here. And this is in the Bible, Acts 4.12, and it says this, Salvation is found in no one else. Not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in Joseph Smith. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. No other name. What name are we talking about? We're talking about his name. Say his name, Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must we must be saved. We must be saved. We need saving. So I know the pushback on that. I want to put a, a, just to show you the difference between how our culture thinks and what the Bible says, let me show you a contrast here. Here's a quote by Oprah Winfrey. Everybody knows who Oprah Winfrey is, and this is her quote about about, uh, religion and and spirituality. Let's put Oprah Winfrey's. Here it is. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. That's the conditioning that we have in our head as Americans. Let's go back to Acts four twelve. Now the problem is, is we confuse what I would call and what people call um, civic pluralism. Civic pluralism is this. Civic pluralism says that all religions are welcome to be practiced in America. I believe in civic pluralism. I believe that America should be free, freedom of religion. There's a, a street in Salisbury. You have Providence, Presbyterian Church. The next building is Hindu Temple. I think that that's what our founding fathers intended, and I think that there should be freedom of religion. And uh, I think that that's just... When it says Congress shall make no law respecting our religion, basically it was saying Congress would not, uh, would not just make all American Anglican in faith or Presbyterian in faith. But just because civic pluralism is a good thing doesn't mean that what those religions propose is true. Freedom of religion is not the same as accuracy of religion. For instance, did you know that there is in America something called the Flat Earth Society? You can Google it. There's a thing called the Flat Earth Society. There's people that have joined an organization and send money that they believe that the earth is flat. Didn't know anybody still believed that, but you can Google it. Listen, people got a right to say that, but how many know that that doesn't necessarily mean that's true? So when we think about our faith, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to this. No man comes to the Father except through me. No man comes to the Father except through me. Say it with me. Jesus said, I am the way, the the truth, truth, and the life. No one one comes to the Father except except through me. Now the reason that's rational is is that people think all religions believe the same thing. Not true. For instance, let's talk about the second biggest religion in the world. Let's talk about Islam. Islam uh, doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe He's a prophet. They believe that Muhammad is the first prophet. And Jesus is one of many prophets in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament era and New Testament era. They respect Jesus, but Jesus is not as high as Muhammad. Here's what, here's what, here's here's what uh, Islam believes. The Quran says that Jesus never died on the cross. He was going to the cross, and right before He got to the cross, God ascended Jesus up to heaven, and Jesus didn't die on the cross to atone for our sins. Jesus uh, went to heaven, but Judas was put on the cross. Muhammad uh, Islam teaches that there is no atonement for your sin. There's no forgiveness for your sin. If you want to be, if you want to go to sensual paradise in the Islam model, you have to keep the, you know, the tenets of, of Islam. You have to recognize that Allah is God and Muhammad is His Prophet. You must, uh, you must pray five times a day. You must uh, fast during Ramadan. You must. Uh, you must, uh, you know, give alms to the poor. You must, if possible, make a, uh, make a, 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 a trip to uh, Mecca. So in other words, Islam teaches something polar opposite of Christianity. Christianity is not by works. For grace you say, through faith, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. Islam teaches you've got to pray. You've got to go to Mecca you got to fast. So those models are completely different. So say this to me. Two things that are diametrically opposed cannot both be true. Now, for instance, how many of you say today, Pastor Danny is wearing socks. If you believe I'm wearing socks, raise your hand if you believe I'm wearing socks. Okay. Raise your hands high if you think I'm wearing socks. How many would say you don't think I'm wearing socks? Okay, so... I'm not wearing socks. There you go. (laughs) The people that said I was wearing socks, they're wonderful people. (laughs) But they're wrong. (laughs) It's ludicrous to think that just because we have freedom of religion, which I support, like we all do, that, that that is equivalent to saying that those things are all true. They're not all true. Man had sinned greatly against the face of God, and he needed a perfect substitute to come in his place. He needed Jesus to come. And John said, as he saw Jesus on the Jordan River, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, just as in the Old Testament where the priest would lay his hands on the goat's head or, the, or the, uh, the cattle's head and he would confess the sin and the sin would be imputed to that animal and then the animal would be slain. Our sin was imputed to Jesus and Jesus was slain in our place. That's the gospel. You're not going to heaven and I'm not going to heaven just because God loves you. That's, that's heresy. You're not going to heaven just because God loves you. You're going to heaven because there was a holy sacrifice by Jesus who came and died in your place. And there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the name of Jesus because it's the name of Jesus who came as my substitute. He took all of Danny Tice's sins and all of Danny Tice's sins has been placed on him. And Jesus has paid the price and he's been raised from the dead. And so I have eternal life. That's the gospel. So I I had a dream this week on Friday night. And my dreams, you ever have dreams you're like, where did that come from? What is that about? So I had this dream. And the dream was that I was in an airplane and there was like five, six guys there. And I had a parachute on. And there was two guys that were with me and we were all supposed to parachute out and they're getting ready to jump out. And I'm really nervous because I don't know where the ripcord is and I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm trying to get the information from these guys. What do I do? What ripcord, what do I pull to get the air chute to deploy? And they jump out of the airplane before I really get clarity on this. And then there's this other guy standing next to me, actually a guy that comes to our church. He, he was in the dream. I don't know why he was there. He's there. And he said, if you don't jump now, you're going to miss the landing area. And so I I just jumped. I don't know why I jumped. I jumped. And I don't know where the ripcord is. And what was scary about the dream is I was in darkness. I was flying through the dark trying to find the ripcord. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in the dream. And finally, I think I got a hold of it. I kept pulling it and pulling it and pulling it, and nothing was happening. And I'm flying, and I'm thinking, I know what happens at the end of this ride. And then I woke up. I don't know what happens if you don't wake up from those dreams and you hit the ground. I don't know. But I laid in the dark. And I'm, and I'm like feeling it. I'm like, wow. That's one of the deep fears I have in life. I've only skydived sky one time and that's the only time I'll ever do it. I did it one time. And I, ha- I always thought, man, what would happen if your, air, if your parachute doesn't deploy? And you know what? Only Jesus is your ripcord. Only he's your ripcord. There's no other ripcord there's not 15 ripcords. There's not 20 ripcords. There's one ripcord, and His name is Jesus. And Peter said, There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And I love His name. Do you love His name? Seems like uh, iCloud's got the same issue. I was, on, I, I was on my computer this week, and iCloud you know, uh, said, you're not connected to iCloud, you need to be put your password in. So I put in what I thought was my password, not the right password. And so I put in my next go-to password, not the right password. Put in my third go-to password, not the right password. Evidently, you've got to have the right password to get on iCloud. <laughs> iCloud is not inclusive. They're exclusive. You've got to have the right code to get in here. And finally, I said, lost my password, Need a new password. Then they said, what's your user ID? Which I didn't know that either, so I'm in big trouble. What's your passcode for eternal life? Your passcode is the same as my passcode. My passcode for eternal life is Jesus. And I love his name. Don't speak any longer in this name. And Peter said, well, I love this part of it. And this is where to end right here. Peter said, well, you judge for yourself. Should we obey God or should we obey you? Don't you love that? It's like he said, go ahead and make my day. Lift your hands to the Lord. We've gone over. Apologize a little bit later. But let's lift your hands to the Lord. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the name of Jesus. Thank you for the person of Jesus. Let our hearts fall in love with you this week, Lord. Not like some, you know, salesman of some company putting a hat on, spinning a deal about Jesus. But let it just come out of our mouth, like naturally, because we love Jesus. We just talk about Jesus. People we work with. Not weird, just normal. It's who we are. The most important thing in our life is Jesus. So help us this week. We love you. Love this book. Love what you're teaching us through it. We ask you to help us as we come back next week. In Jesus' name, And everybody said amen and amen.